0: All right, we're in Luke chapter 18. And a familiar text here on uh, persistence in prayer. And I thought for prayer meeting, we every now and again, we focus in on something that's prayer-related in the Scriptures. So that's the intention here tonight again. And this is uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Now let's read that together here. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was a certain city, or in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Father, we thank you for the Word of God, and as we open it again uh, this evening, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and help us to receive these things and stir up by way of remembrance the things we've already learned before even, and help us, Lord, to pray and not to give up. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You come here to uh, this section. You have uh, basically three people in focus or uh, you have this widow and you have an unrighteous judge. And then, of course, you have God, the righteous judge. And Jesus tells this parable. uh, It does not necessarily when you come across the word parable does not mean that he just made up a story. Like There's nothing uh, necessarily in real life that's factual to it. It's probably a real life example. The word parable means a story that comes along another. Uh, the word para, to come alongside of, and it means to come alongside something. And, and what Jesus was doing is teaching a deeper truth. And he uses this story as he did so often in that. And we see some things here in prayer, and I thought in the minutes that we have ahead of us here, we could look at a few things. And uh, the first thing we see in regards to uh, this widow, because that's what we're going to look at first, we have a cry of a widow. Uh, and we see her demand or sort of we don't know exactly the specifics of it it we just know that in verse 3 it says now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying get justice for me from my adversary uh, there was someone who was after her or after maybe her dead husband's estate or was there was some accusation against her whatever it was was not you know we assumed was a false accusation a false charge And they were after her. And that's her demand. We don't know, again, exactly what it was, but you could, with a little sanctified imagination, probably put yourself right in there. We've all been in a place where perhaps someone has been out to, you think, get you, you know? And sometimes they really are. And sometimes they do things, and they do it even without a cause or without just cause. And perhaps she was being sued or something like that and would have not had the ability to... To defend herself in that regard, but we see this woman, and we see her demand, and we know this that her heart was heavy. Uh, this was weighing on her. It was not something that she took lightly. It was something that was in her world a big thing. And yet, uh, this judge, we you know, we'll get to him, but you know, he doesn't seem to have much regard for her. He, she's just another widow, one of many and uh, that brings me to the second point under the widow, she not only had a demand but she had disadvantages her disadvantages, number one, that she was a woman and in that day and age as a woman, you you held very little legal rights to things and in many places in our world today, that is still the, the, the case, and in doing so, she would not have had a direct way to argue before a judge she would have had to have a male, uh, maybe a relative, or in you know most cases a husband somebody that would go and would plead a cause before a judge and in this case she doesn't have that so she's already at a disadvantage and and sometimes you know that's where we are we we don't have anybody here on earth to plead our cause or to understand even what we're going through there's times where I, I have just scratched my head and I've, I've said oh I wish somebody would just understand the way this feels or the stress that this puts a person in and and in reality, sometimes we stand alone in those things. This woman stood alone. And in many ways, her disadvantages was, uh, you know, in this, this way, that number one, she was a woman, and then secondly, she was a widow. Being a widow uh, would have automatically moved you, uh, with very rare exceptions, it would have moved you into a category of society of the poorest of the poor. Because often uh, you were taken advantage of. Uh, a matter of fact, Jesus, when he accuses the Pharisees, right, He talks about devouring widows houses and those legalists that's what they would do you know they would go in and and they would come along and and see a a widow and say oh i bet she's in a little bit of financial trouble i'll come along and present her a great plan to get out of her troubles and we'll take her house in the process of it and then she's left homeless and without any money and jesus harshly accused the pharisees of that the Pharisees would have been in a very uh, they being the keepers of the law, um, they would have stood in sometimes the place of judges okay in the the civic order of things in Israel, and we would have seen that so i don 't know if that 's this judge, but nevertheless he 's a judge and, and again we 'll get to him when we look at it, but being a widow, she was poor most likely, and she would have been part of a segment of society that would have uh, been an outcast uh, in many ways if she didn't have someone to come and to take her in like a child an adult child or someone uh, remarrying or whatever so it really put her at a disadvantage and over and over again in scripture you see those instances where you have widows right remember the prophet Elijah and uh, being taken in by the widow and you know the situation she found herself in and you you have those stories throughout Scripture, and there's I think God has, by the way, His His eye on widows many times. Great Bible study. Go through the Scriptures and look at all the instances of where widows are mentioned. Right, and of course we have the Book of Ruth, and what a wonderful book! One of my favorite books in all the Bible, just because of the story of redemption. But you have uh, two widows, and uh, you know, as we we went through that book, uh, what three years ago, probably now. But the first message, it's uh, you have. Uh, three widows in a wash pot. You have Ruth and Orpah and Naomi, and they're down in Moab. And God says of Moab, That's my wash pot. <laughs> they're in a bad situation. And yet, God is going to use those that would follow Him, Ruth and Naomi, and He would bring them out of that, and He would bless them beyond measure. And His eye is on the widow tonight. It's interesting that Jesus takes this widow and uses her as an illustration. We see her determination. Look in verse 5. It says, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Uh, Here is the dialogue from the unrighteous judge, and and he's just had it. I've, I've had enough. This woman comes to me all the time. She's always saying she has a case. And lest I just grow weary all the time, of her nagging i am going to have to deal with this you know what he says here really is that she's determined and that's what the continual coming it says there that means she was constantly doing this she had made it her mission in life and if you think about this in the context verse one what jesus is talking about is that men ought always to pray and not lose heart or not become faint right and then he uses the story of a widow who is continually going before a judge okay and i think uh, that goes exactly with what paul says that we need to pray always always that's continual that the prayer and praise of god be coming off our lips and in our mind and it doesn't mean that someone has to hear us it, but rather you know we're continually before the lord in prayer throwing up those little prayers sometimes just as we walk along with the lord right And this is the way she was. Uh, Everywhere she went, she was, uh, and everywhere the judge went. And these judges in that day were on a circuit. They didn't go, you didn't go to a courthouse somewhere. The judge came to you. And he would come in a little tent with all his uh, regalia and his his other uh, staff members, I guess you'd call them today, and they would come. And you wouldn't even get a chance to see the judge directly, usually. Instead, you would have to deal with one of the judge's uh, workers that were with him, and often you had to go and uh, in that day, and many times today as well, you had to give them a little extra money, and then the judge would decide whether or not he would hear your case, and so it was totally dependent upon the judge being in the right location, and he had to also have be accessible enough so that he would, and then he had to. On his own, take the take the case and listen and make judgment. And a lot of people didn't get that opportunity. And certainly, there were probably other people that had far more resources and wealth and influence and all of that, and they were probably at the head of the line. And yet, there's this woman everywhere this judge goes, and you know, maybe he's set up in this marketplace today. Oh, he's over on that hill over here. He's in this village today. Guess what? There's the widow, and she's pleading to have the judge. Hear her. I think that speaks a lot about this woman's determination in that. Her desperation, you sense it, don't you? You sense it because here she is. She's desperate. She has no one else that can help her except this unrighteous judge. Not even a good judge, but an unrighteous judge. And he's her only hope in this matter. And I think that's um, a stark contrast because Jesus uses the unrighteous judge. And yet, and then he turns around and he talks about the righteous judge, right? the Lord himself. big difference between the two, but even unrighteous judges are needed sometimes. We see the judge, that's the second part here. and uh, and by the way, I think the widow represents us, okay, all of God's people who find themselves in a situation where you are, you know spiritually impoverished, right? And Jesus said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, right." And those that are up against the wall and you say, I just can't do this anymore. I have no help here. Someone has to help me. And we plead before the Lord, of course, in that. But we look at the judge, Number um, things, some things about the judge. First of all, he was corrupt. We, we get that through the understanding of uh, the system of the day and the context of which Jesus is using it and it ta- calls the man unrighteous. But he also, in that day and age, like I said, you have the accusation of the Pharisees who were devouring widows' houses, and corruption was rampant. We see it at the trial of Christ, when Christ is brought before the religious authorities and the, the civic authorities as well, and there's corruption through and through. They had to find false witnesses to bring to him, and they found them. They had to have someone pay a bribe and, and get paid, right? Judas, for 30 pieces of silver. And you see that corruption that was all through the system. And Jesus is put through a trial, and he goes through that that awful trial, uh, a trial that should never have been conducted. It was conducted at night. There were no judicial proceedings at night. They had to do it at night because men prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, right? And you didn't convict someone based upon a witness, uh, a, a, a false witness. You know, that's what they had, a false witness. And there were many, many other things that were not brought up in Jesus' trial. Definitely a corruption of the day. Warren Wiersbe, uh, in one of his writings on this, he explains that, and I've already explained it, that the judges covered a circuit, and they would go around, and to do that and to meet with them, you often would have to bribe someone to get before the judge. And it's probably not a whole lot different today, to be honest with you. We just do it legally. We pay a lawyer a lot of money to plead your cause before a judge. And I'm not going to kick lawyers under the bus because when you need them, they're like preachers. You need a preacher now and again, you need lawyers too sometimes, you know what? And, uh, but I will say this, that in a lot of things even today, you don't get to sit down often with a president somewhere unless you, you pay for it, you know, uh, or unless you're someone like Billy Graham or others, right, that had opportunity. They called him and said, come, <laughs> you know, what a difference of that. Uh, I say that because the Lord has a way of doing that. Anyways, corrupt judge. He was calloused. We read that, verse 4. And uh, verse 3, it says here, Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me for my adversary. Look at verse 4. And he would not for a while. He did not care. He's just calloused. Can I tell you, the world doesn't care about the things the Lord cares about. The Lord, and the honestly, the cares that you have, a lot of people in the world don't care about them. <laughs> they really don't. And this judge represents that world system. And here's this woman, she's desperate. She goes before a callous judge, and she just petitions him over and over and over. And for a while, he just turns a deaf ear. I don't know if she was outside the tent or just as he was setting up there with all his people around him she would holler out i don't know exactly what would happen but it was enough that he just tuned her out for a while he was condescending in spite of uh uh the condition here that he in in the position he has he he didn't regard god and he didn't regard her and that's what it says uh, it says, but after he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man. Now, what a judge, huh? Think of that statement. He's telling himself this. He says, I don't care about God and I don't care about man. You want that kind of judge, judging man's affairs? No. You no, know, it's an interesting statement because, and I could, I'm not going to go off on this one, but you know, I was thinking about that because a lot. What is, I guess what is wrong with our system today in the world and in our country and in our politics and in our churches and in our schools and whatever you it boils down to people do not have a regard for god and the natural step to go from that i have no regard for god to a no regard for man is just like that because if you don't regard god god's the one who created man why care about man so we're back to the you know why do people go out and kill each other without regard for it and do that uh, simply because they don't care about God or man. This judge was in the same place. I'm sure he had to, you know, do his judgments in a way that were, you know, politically expedient enough so he didn't lose his position or have someone get so mad it killed him. You know, he kept his job, in other words, but he really in his heart didn't care. And you know, here's Jesus and Jesus knows this man's heart. And I think he's a real man. I don't think it was just made up. Jesus isn't making up a story. He's talking about a real situation. Probably those that were listening said, yeah, I know who that is. (laughs) I've been there. He was calloused. And yet there's some interesting words here. Because uh, verse 5, he says, because uh, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The word trouble, it means to reach forth, to beat another, or to cause another trouble. I like that. Her pleading was like someone whacking him and hitting him all the time. You ever you know, have somebody that does that after a while? It's just annoying, right? I think sometimes it can be not even something that necessarily hurts, but just something annoys you. Um, and it can be sometimes a child does it. Uh, how often my kids when they were little I don't let them do it now for sure but I uh, didn't like it when they were little either but they come up and dad 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 dad, dad. You know, it doesn't take long does it you're tired of that already and that's the woman she's reaching out and she's beating the judge down all right not physically but with her words The word weary means to be beaten down or be given a black eye. Wow, she was a good one. (laughs) You don't want a a, a woman who is, you know, this widow woman who is going to go out and, you know, beat you down and, and give you a black eye. And that's what was going on. And I think of that because the judge is talking about his own reputation, really. I think, anyways, I mean, not only his own selfishness, but he's saying... I'm tired of this woman. I mean, she's just always there, always yelling this. I better do something about this. Sometimes we have to, you know, squeak until the wheel gets greased, as they say, right? I mean, that's what takes place. And that's what this woman was going to do. She was persistent enough to see the judge finally take her case and make a decision. And I think if we're going to do this in the context of prayer, because I could talk about the widow and and the judge, that's not really the focus here. The focus is prayer and the focus is the righteous judge who, who is always good and always does what is right. He's nothing like the unrighteous judge at all and yet he, he's the one that was quickly hear our case. Hmm. Do you know that? That you can go before the Lord in, in an instant and he will hear you and he will plead your cause. He may not answer it to you right away that may take a while before that happens but he hears you immediately that's why when the writer of hebrews says we can boldly go before the throne of grace approach the throne of grace we can actually because of christ we can boldly go right into his presence couldn't do that with an earthly judge you had people that kept you away you had a line you had time constraints you had money issues you had influence you probably had to, if you didn't have someone that could plead your cause, you better know your legal standings and be eloquent. This woman had none of that. I, what I love about the Lord is that you can go to him and you don't even have to know what to say. As Paul writes in Romans 8, in groanings which cannot be uttered, aren't you glad that there are just days you don't know the words? God, I don't know how to say this. don't know how to pray for this person. don't even know what to say and ask for, you know? God, just, just take it. He hears us, just like that. Wonderful. To beat down. Don't give up, you know. I was uh, looking over the, uh, an illustration, but it was from the diary of uh, John Wesley, the, the Methodist preacher who, we started the Methodist movement, basically. And he was just a circuit-riding preacher, you know. And, you know, he was turned down and kicked out of a lot of places. Yet he kept a simple message. I mean, he was a very eloquent speaker from my understanding of stuff. But in one of his his journals, this is from one month, okay? Sunday a.m., May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, asked not to come back. Sunday p.m., May 5th, preached in St. John's, deacon said, get out, stay out. Hmm. Sunday a.m., May 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. (laughs) Sunday p.m., May 19th, Preached in, he put this, somebody else's. (laughs) And deacons called a special meeting, said I couldn't return. Sunday a.m. May 26th, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday a.m. June 2nd, preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m. June 2nd, preached in a pasture, 10,000 came out. (laughs) Oh, I don't know, you know, persist. Persist. Don't give up after you get kicked off the street, you know. Uh, I I don't know. That was in his diary. I just think, wow. We talked about George George Mueller last week, I think, and I used the illustration. He prayed 55 years for an unsaved guy, you know, uh, someone who needed Christ. 55 years, two of them actually. And it was only right before Mueller's death, one of them became a Christian. Right after Mueller's death, the other one became a Christian. 55 years prayed for them. In that. George Mueller put it this way the great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer, they do not go on praying, they do not persevere. And I think he has a point. Sometimes we just give up way too soon. We really do. You contrast this with the Father, and um, and we know that again, you know, Luke 18 7 here it says in Compare the righteous and the unrighteous judge, right? And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? And what it means he bears long is that sometimes we cry out day and night and we wonder if God hears us. Of course he hears us, but he's bearing with us. He's holding on. Sometimes it's 55 years, you know. Or it's like Polycarp as he was he was the the bishop of Smyrna, okay? The persecuted church, Smyrna. You remember that? He was the pastor there. And and he was uh, eventually under, um, I don't know, it was Marcus Aurelius, I think. He was taken and he was brought before the proconsul. And he was asked to recant his faith in Christ. And he would not. And when they were uh, tying him down to the stake, or actually they were getting ready to tie him to the, the stake and then burn him, um, he actually requested that he not be tied up and he wasn't nailed to it either. That was a, those both were very common ways of executing people and then they would burn you to death alive. Uh, he just requested to stand there in the flames and as that, they were setting the fire, trying to get it going, he was asked to recant again and he said, 80 and 6 years I have served him and he's done me no harm. He's saved me. I cannot, you know, he said something like, I cannot deny him now. And he stood there as the flames licked his body, and as as he stood in the flames, I mean, he stood there, not running off. Uh, they took pity on him and thrust him through, and the blood gushed out and actually quenched the thre- the flames. And that's how Polycarp died. And I thought, do you think God heard his prayers? Yeah, he sure did. You read of that in the account of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And and you know, before while he was in hiding, actually, because he knew the emperor wanted him, and a child found him out, and the soldiers that came to arrest him, he threw a feast for him, and he was he was such a testimony to them. Tradition says they got saved; they they became Christians, and yet they had to, by obligation, turn him in. Still, and uh, you know, I think of that. You know, the God sometimes we say, "You're not here with me." Yes, you are. He's doing great, and mighty things. He really is. He's doing that. He hears his people. Isaiah 65 24 it shall come to pass that before they call I will answer and while they are still speaking I will hear I love that that have you ever had that habit that God just had it all lined up before you even asked ah he does it all the time I mean it's just all the time of course it's all there how about first John 5 14 and 15 now This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Here's the formal instruction from the Apostle John to to Christians, and he's saying this is how we do it. We ask the Lord in his will. And that's what we need to do as we come to the Lord even tonight and ask for those things. And he handles our petitions. That's what it says here. It says, We know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. In other words, he's taking those and he he keeps them and he tracks them and he knows what to do with it. He does it, and sometimes in ways that we aren't even aware of for maybe years. Many years ago, there was a a young man named Roger Sims, he was uh, discharged from the military. And he was wearing his uh, his Class A uniform and carrying a heavy suitcase, and he left the base and he started hitchhiking and as he was hitchhiking he, uh, headed back to uh, a town in Illinois. He said the vehicles were passing him, and finally this uh, this Cadillac, a big black Cadillac slowed down, and he thought, "Oh this guy'll never stop for me and The guy stopped and uh, there was a driver and, and a passenger passenger in the back a, a well dressed man and he invited, the, the well-dressed man invited Roger Sims to get in. And he said, he said, um, I'm going to Chicago. Where are you going? And and Roger Sims says, well, I'm not going that far to Chicago, but I'm headed that direction. The man said, great, you come on, you get in. And uh, they continued. And and he soon found out the, the, this man was a businessman. His last name was Hanover. And he was rather successful. And the a matter of fact, he, he gave... Uh, roger sims a business card and he said if you're ever in chicago look me up you know said during that trip uh they talked about a lot of things and roger sims is a christian and and he said my my stop was coming he was about 30 minutes away from the town he needed to get out at and and he said i felt compelled to share the gospel with this man and he wasn't sure if he should do that might just you know kick him out there and finally he mustered up the courage and He said, Mr. Hanover, I have something to tell you. And he went on to share about salvation, about Jesus Christ. And he offered an invitation for Mr. Hanover to receive Christ. Hanover said, pull the vehicle over. You know, They pulled the vehicle over and he thought, he's kicking me out. He said, I I need to receive Christ. He says, how do I do that? They prayed together and the man was gloriously saved. Five years on. Now Mr. Sims is married, he has a 2-year-old boy, and he's himself an up-and-coming businessman and he has a business trip to go to Chicago. He he gets uh, his suitcase ready and he remembers there was a Mr. Hanover in Chicago. I had to look him up and so he dug through some things and he found the guy's business card, stuck that in his pocket and he went off to Chicago. Found the address on the business card, he walked in and he met a receptionist there in a very fancy office building. And he said, I'm Roger Sims, and I know a Mr. Hanover. It would be possible to meet with him. And the lady said, well, it won't be possible to meet with him today, but you can meet with Mrs. Hanover. And so he thought, well, that's good. And so he went up to the office, and Mrs. Hanover was there, and, and she said, I, I hear you, you knew my husband. And, and he said, yes, I know your husband. And, he, and she said, well, he's, he's been dead for some years now, and I'm taking over the business. And he said, well, yes, I, I just met him one time. She said, when was that? And he said, "Oh, it was May 7th, and he gave the year. He said, I remember that day because that's the day I got out of the army, and he gave me a ride. She said, would you tell me about that ride, please? And and he, and he, he said, well, I, I told him about the ride and how I was getting out of the military and all the things that he wasn't sure if he should share with her about the man's conversion. But he mustered up the courage again, and he said, there was one more thing, ma'am. He said... During that ride, I, I asked him if he would like to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. And, and I, I prayed with him, and he asked the Lord to save him. And she began to weep, and she said, I prayed for years for my husband, years and years and years. And she says, I, I prayed he would receive Christ. I never knew if he had received Christ or not. He died on May 7th of that year, the same day he picked you up. And it must've, he must have died right after he dropped you off in a car accident. He died. You know, we never know what God's going to do. But, you know, as people pray and God, he hears that. He works that all out. And I I look at that and I think, wow, you know, that's the challenge he gives to us here in this text. Right? He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. God takes care of it. Whether it's, by the way, in this life or the next. uh, I say the next as in after this earth (laughs) experience You may not get justice now. You may get your money taken, your home taken, your family taken, your life taken, whatever else is taken. And it may be totally unjust, but God will avenge. And he will. He'll take care of that. He keeps track of it all. If not in this life, in the next. That's for sure. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now keep this in mind. This is the context of prayer, right? prayer tells us that we're reliant on god and true heartfelt prayer you know as we pray to god also is just that we're we're by faith coming before the lord sometimes we think oh to live by faith i got to do some some great thing like give all my money away or you know move to another country that uh, as a missionary or something like that really one of the greatest parts of demonstrating our faith before the lord not before each other necessarily but before the lord is just prayer praying. Ever important to do that. Well, that's the challenge to the saints. That's the challenge to the Christians. And God uses this widow and he uses an unrighteous judge to declare to the world why it's so important to petition the righteous judge, the one who hears all and is, is does that. Let's pray. God, we come before you thanking you again tonight for your word and for this parable that jesus told we thank you for these illustrations very basic simple illustrations that were used lord in that day and how uh, i pray it would encourage us tonight just to to continue to make these requests known i think of these prayer requests that are listed on our our sheet here and uh, many others that aren't mentioned and even unnamed and um, just uh, prayers that uh, perhaps privately we bring before you And you have said that we ought not to give up, but continue to pray. So help us to do that, Lord. And we ask that it should you come for us even tonight or years ahead, Lord, that you would find us being faithful and you'd find faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.